Hey friends, it's Andy. Welcome to our new show, Accelerate Expresso. Look, I mean, I know you're busy, and it's hard to keep up with all six of the great episodes we publish each week. So, with this show, Accelerate Expresso, we're going to deliver highlights from each episode from the previous week. And in the process, give you short, delicious shots of insight from a show you might have missed, and to help amp you up for the coming week. Now, before we jump into it, please remember to visit iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to subscribe to this podcast. And while you're there, leave a review, please, for Accelerate. We need your feedback to ensure that we keep delivering the high levels of value you expect. Okay, let's Expresso. First up, on this edition of Expresso, from episode 505, Scott Ingram. Scott's a practicing salesperson in his day job, and he moonlights as the host of a podcast called Sales Success Stories, in which he interviews people who actually sell for a living. So in this episode, Scott shares some of the insights that he's picked up from the sales professionals he's interviewed on his show. And I, I think it's really just simply that. I've, I've been struck by... Um, how much just in general, these conversations um, really just smash the stereotypical negative sales stereotype of of what the very top performers are. And I, I just I have found them to be super passionate and caring about their clients results and mm-hmm. and have really a vested interest in where that goes. And I, I think particularly folks that have been in the industry in the same industry for a long time and are able to continue to ride that because just like you said with with tenure decreasing if you're able to build those kinds of relationships and deliver those kinds of results for your clients then you benefit from them buying from you again when they're in a same or higher level role in another company um, and and their friends and everything else that kind of comes from that. So it's it's been really interesting to see just how caring they are and, and not seeing this as, you know, you're, you're a transaction, you're a means to an end because I'm, I've got a I've got a sales record to crush. On Tuesday in episode 506, I spoke with Joe Gianni. Joe is the CEO and president of Two Logical Inc., a training company based in Rochester, New York. Joe's also the author of a book titled Swagger, The Way of the Sway to Sales and Life Success. So on this show, Joe breaks down the five core governing beliefs that he believes will unlock your individual potential and trigger the behaviors and habits you need to succeed in life and in sales. Yeah, you know, swagger is very, you know, simply put, it's just as I, I alluded to a few moments ago, it's it's just basically the difference in the mindset that people who rise and become peak performers in virtually sales and for that matter in any walk in life. Uh, the, 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 the essence of swagger is that people that have swagger have a different way that they interpret the environment. They don't react and, and act uh, similar to others uh, when things are uh, going difficult or things are, dif- uh, are challenging. Uh, they don't view opportunities the same. They really just have an entire different uh, internal dialogue that goes on that causes them to be risk takers. It causes them to put forth the effort to work on fundamentals. It causes them to uh, know how to uh, dissect situations and pull out the good things and learn from every experience that they have. So that, that's basically uh, mm-hmm. the most simple way of explaining it. And, well, and I'm the second, curious, curious how you came yeah. up with the word because I mean, you know, look on the face of it. I mean, typically swagger, yeah, not always a not always a positive connotation to swagger. Swagger, right? I mean, sometimes people associate it with being cocky or arrogant. But I, it, I, I suspect you didn't mean it that way. 
Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. In fact, you know, I talk about, you know, at the beginning of the book, the the Webster Dictionary, and it, and it does, it can have a negative connotation. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Urban Dictionary uh, defines it, uh, you know, very much in the way that people act and react to circumstances and situations. And uh, the most successful people that I've ever met in life uh, again, uh, whether they're uh, evolving in sales or they're evolving in sales management or they're evolving in uh, in sports or in manufacturing, whatever it is, mm-hmm. they don't react and act the same way to the environment. And uh, as a result of that, they don't get caught up in the small things. Uh, they don't get caught up in the challenges and the setbacks. They get caught up in reaching their full potential and perfecting themselves. Next up in episode 507 was Mitch Morando. Mitch is the founder and CEO of Whaler. That's spelled W-H-A-L-R. No, no E in there. Whaler.com. And Whaler specializes in helping sales teams identify what it calls product-qualified leads. And in this episode, we talked about how to use sales intelligence to drive new business development with enterprise buyers using product-qualified leads. So you want to check this out and then listen to the full episode on Accelerate. No, it all starts once the user uh, has signed up either uh, and signed into the product. So for us, that's a that's a key starting point. Um, and even in my you know in my own sales uh, sales career, using data pre sign in, right? Like downloading white papers, attending webinars, uh, not typically a very strong signal for me personally as a, as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, okay, once they got in the product, okay, that's that's still starting to get interesting, but I want to see what what they do, right? Because a lot of times, especially in these freemium or open source models, you want you may want customers to just sit there for a while. They're not ready yet. Um, you know, the the biggest challenge in, in sales is just getting the timing right, right, and understanding when they're um, they're actually at a point where they're open to having the conversation and, and being taught. Sometimes you just can't you just can't chase the person who just signs up and is starting to use your product just because they may fit some permographic data. Um, mm-hmm. There may maybe a reason to just wait and wait until. Three months later, when all of a sudden user two, three, four, five comes in over a short period of time, maybe that's the right time to um, uh, to reach out. So, um, those are some of the things. A lot of things that we monitor uh, and try and service to the sales rep to to uh, help them highlight that. And so, what what does the rep receive back from from Whaler? So, it, it I, you know it integrates with Salesforce, obviously. So mm-hmm. they get that information automatically updating to their their contact record or something. We do. Yeah, we we um, we call it Intel, right? So. We basically monitor uh, all of this, and then when we see something interesting, we push that piece of intel into Salesforce. And usually, it's uh, we can do it over email or over an API uh, through our API. But um, the goal is to get it in front of the rep in whatever workflow that they're already, you know, uh, is already pre-existing, and tell them, okay, this interesting thing is happening now. Here's why. Context is really important, right? Um, uh, I'm not. A, I've never been a believer of black boxes and just kind of you know the magical machine learning. That that to me is uh, doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be this. Fi- it has to be a. We spend a lot of time with working directly with the sales reps to understand. Okay, what are things that they think are interesting, and then we'll use that human interaction along with you can and scale it a little bit faster and experiment more by using the machine learning. But certainly, there has to be a lot of human intuition um, uh, and hands-on understanding that uh, that needs to go into into this. And providing that context to the sales rep then uh, then gives them all the information they need and sort of how they need to reach out uh, um, how they need to reach out and, and interact with that particular prospect. 
In episode 508, I spoke with Daniel Rodriguez. He's the VP of Marketing at Seismic. And Daniel and I had a great conversation about how to turn your collateral material into strategic sales assets for your sales team and help move the needle on your sales productivity. The, 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 the tightness of that, of that correlation coefficient um, becomes a real challenge just because of the large number of moving parts of things that are happening. Um, I mean, we generally like to think of it as it's, you know, kind of bumper bowling for sales and marketing where within say that stage and that type of interaction, there are a couple of things that we know are a better idea than others and that you should use these things because it will be helpful. But to, to, to then, you know, to say that, you know, if you use this piece of collateral as, as if that's the only thing that's actually driving stage advancement, you know, then, then you're going to get stage advancement would be naive for us, for us to think. Um, but we are thinking about it as, you know, Hey, well, sales, you know, sales, you know, is, is responsible for bowling the ball, uh, rolling the actual ball down the lane. And, you know, is there something that we can do with the help of marketing and setting up the system so that we feel like there are some parameters, there are some bumpers that say, Hey, if you show something like this, that is, off. That is going to be a disaster. That's a gutter ball type of type of thing that you're showing to somebody. It's the wrong product for the way that this person has come to us. You're showing the wrong case study based on the size of this customer or the geography of this customer or the pains of this customer. You know, you should be showing these things because these are the better performing things. Yeah, and I I, I get that. I think that <laughs> see I think that a more useful metric, actually, at this point in time, for for a lot of reps, is to say, look, this is the bad stuff. This is stuff you don't you don't <laughs> well, want you don't to, want you don't you, want to you, show because we can correlate that that's bad, right? That that one we have greater certainty about about the correlation than on the plus side. But yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. As as I think, if you could draw boundaries around content to say, look, yeah, don't touch this. This is hazardous waste. Oh, uh-huh. absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, there, there's, I think, data from serious decisions that basically says, you know, that that content problem for sales is, um, we're getting a little, little, little feedback there, sorry, um, is, um, you know, half of the problem is actually people can't find what they need. And then of the other half of the problem, it's that uh, half of that content is not good. So, how do you know? How do you know what's the stuff that's unfindable versus the stuff that's not good versus the right stuff? Um, and I think much of the challenge is actually solved with just making sure that sales is not cluttered with the stuff that is not good and that marketing knows the difference between what's not findable and On what's actually Frontline not Friday good. This week, episode 509, Bridget and I talked about and also maybe debated a bit about what are the key character traits of successful sales reps? There's no straight line. Gosh, I sales, sales is going to be up and down. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. You're going to have months when you do well and months when maybe you don't. And if you don't have the mental sort of stamina and and just be able to kind of keep yourself through that, uh, you're going to have a hard time. You also have to keep, stay humble when, mm-hmm. you know, don't mm-hmm. let your head swell. So I think you have to have also resilience to be able to come down to earth when you feel like, you know, you've got it mastered. But I think it is, it is tough for people when they're struggling and I see this on a team now as I'm building a team 
here in Boston for Logs.io. And I've got a bunch of new reps and they've all been successful at their previous companies and they're amazing. I have all the confidence in the world in them. They're, they're fantastic. And some of them, it's taking a little bit longer to, to get ramped than mm-hmm. others. And that's hard. It's just hard. And you just have to emotionally be able to keep yourself going and know that you are doing the right things. And it's that sense, again, of resiliency that's I think is really important. Be really easy to quit and say, I don't need this. Let me go do something easier. Let me go do something um, that's not going to challenge me as much. Let me go do something to take an easier path. Very tempting. I feel that sometimes. Jeez, the VP of sales. You and I have talked about it, Andy. Yeah, yeah. God, every couple of months, I think, why am I doing this? I don't need it. So, yeah, usually um, that thought occurs to me when I'm in a crowded airplane that's two hours uh, late for its destination. It's circling I over know. someplace, and it's like, you know, kids screaming behind me. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah, there are those times. So I, I think resilience. Yeah, well, I think your, your point about humility as being you know, a partner to resilience is, is really a good one. Because, yeah, I mean, there are brash people you see meet all the time. I know a lot of people have been successful in sales and business that outwardly are brash, but I know them. I know they've got a, a humble side. They've been humbled by business on themselves. You know, so sort of a personality thing is, you know, at some level you have to you have to have that humility because yeah, there's always points in your life when the job wins. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you gotta, you know, be able to go through that. And that you know, called to mind that one of my favorite quotes, which we've talked about once before on the show. I know that from a actually an American philosopher and theologian named Paul Tillich. Who said that? And I've I had this on my refrigerator at home for years and years and years when I was earlier in my career, which said the awareness of the ambiguity of one's highest achievements as well as one's deepest failures is a definite symptom of maturity. And That's it's, right. It's just great guiding words for anybody that you know your greatest successes and your greatest failures. As he said, there's an ambiguity about them, and as long as you understand that then it'll sort of keep you on a, a level field, a level plane. Yeah, it, it's super, super important. And I guess different people are more likely to uh, attribute success to themselves and failure to someone else. Mm. Oh, yeah, um, that's, what's that? <laughs> success is, what, failure is an orphan, but success has a thousand fathers, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are, there's a smaller number of people, though, that um, have a hard time internalizing success, but anytime something goes wrong, they, they accept all the pieces. You know, they, they feel uh, all the burden of that, and that's not right either. Finally, we wrapped up the week with episode 510 with Dan Negroni. Dan is the founder and CEO of Launchbox and author of the book Chasing Relevance, Six Steps to Understand, Engage, and Maximize Next Generation Leaders in the Workplace. Now, in our talk, we had a conversation about the strategies millennials can use to demonstrate their value in the workplace. Check it out. I agree with you 100%. And here's the good news, and here's the optimistic bent on millennials is 
Um, yes, technology has kind of numbed them to that, and we see that with our own kids. We see that with a lots lots of people. But I think when we get in there and teach them and we go back to the premises of teaching them how to be the best millennials they can be, they are so open and they get it so quickly and they understand, oh, that sounds like it's all about me. How do I shift it? Oh, and I understand that technique. It's just we're not teaching those techniques in school. Uh, We should be ashamed of our universities not teaching the things we're talking about now. Um, We're not teaching it in graduate school. We're not teaching it in high school or in college. And we're not teaching it in the workplace. And, you know, we are striving to actually build a technology that will help teach those things and bring back, bring back human, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is, this is, I think is, is really going to become a differentiator in the future is people that can actually do that, connect on the human level. Uh, they become a, a really valuable commodity. So, so let's let's talk for a second. So you mentioned before you have a technique you call an inside-out technique. So what what is that? Yeah. So um, we talked a little bit about the beginning. Is there's so many dots for millennials to follow um, and to figure out, and so many choices. And so we focus on what's the dot inside. How do I figure out who I am? And basically, we go through an assessment. We happen to use Strength Finder, which we like a lot. Uh, millennials tend to like it a lot as well. It gives a lot of color and description and leniency in the categories. Um, and then we teach them more about their skills, values, and passions, all focused on others. So skills as how they can help others, um, their brand, and then how to tell connective stories, right? The age-old art of storytelling. And we build it from the ground up, giving them a platform to understand themselves so they can articulate. Um, and once they get to that date on Tinder, when they're in the bar, they have to use, <laughs> as Simon Sinek says, their game to go, hey, and they can ask a great question, which is like, you know, what's your favorite thing in the world to do? Or what's the thing that's had the biggest impact on you? And um, really focus on connecting with people that have that same type of mind frame and mindset and requiring employers to have that as well and clients. And so um, we have this workshop and system and eventually a technology that teaches what we call that inside out uh, mechanism of understanding yourself first so you can provide value to others and connect with them. So thanks again for joining us on Expresso. Until next week on Expresso, this is your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. So that's it, friends. Another excellent week of Accelerate, the world's best sales podcast. Please take 30 seconds right now. Go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. I personally want to know what I can do to make this an even more valuable resource for you. For our regular listeners, I'll see you bright and early Monday morning. For everyone else, we'll see you again back here next week. Until then, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.